Podcast Network, the podcast where we have conversations about mental health in as down-to-earth way possible. How's everybody doing? <laughs> oh, goodness gracious. I um, I tried to record another sort of solo episode, kind of following up on the panic attack theme. <laughs> Something, I mean... Uh, Part one is a really vulnerable episode. I haven't listened to it in a minute. Part two, I did more recently, um, and that was sort of a follow-up to part one, and also was vulnerable, but also, you know, kind of demonstrating, you know, talking about the process of kind of finding yourself, finding your way back to being grounded or somewhat centered again after a kind of intense experience. And I tried to record a part three because the narrative didn't really feel finished. And uh, I had like a 10-minute recording that I got done. And then I sat down to record again to try to sort of add on to the 10 minutes. And it just didn't kind of feel natural or inspired. I even wrote, <laughs> I wrote like a, like a, a two-page probably... 500 word um, thesis on what I'm looking for in love. <laughs> and because what, what happened was, um, I, you know, you remember Kathleen, you know, Kathleen from the earlier episode entitled um, Kathleen. Uh, this is uh, my, my, you know, my really, really good friend. So obviously, She's uh, always helpful and always giving advice and always sort of uh, helping me to think through different thought processes during sort of all the time and especially during, you know, sort of more challenging times. And she made she made a really good point. She was like, uh, dude, you got to be like really specific when making your wishes to the genie. You know what I mean? Like, uh, like you just have to make sure to be like really specific and what you're asking for and, and like really get into details because like, you know, if you're not careful, like the genie's going to fuck you. Do you know what I mean? Like those weren't her exact words, but that's the basic point of it. So if you're like, you know, I want love and then like you get love, but it's like not everlasting. You're like, fuck. All right. Uh, I want everlasting love. And then you get like everlasting love, but like, you know you're not like a perfect match or something like that. So it's like, I want everlasting love with a person who cuddles and uh, is a good communicator and is gentle and loving and uh, goodness gracious. So yeah, you get, you kind of get the point. So I wrote like a 500 word thesis on it and I was like, I should, you know, read it as part of an episode and then, I don't know what was going on. I might've been having visions of like becoming like the podcaster, like sleepless in Seattle <laughs> where like the podcast becomes like super famous on like me getting all romantic and cheesy and that shit would probably work, but, <laughs> but also it's not really me. So, I mean, I definitely have like the romantic cheesy part, but the truth is like, I'm also more goofy than that. But anyway, anyway, anyway. Uh, so this episode is with Rebecca Peters. She is really, really awesome. Uh, she is a local TV personality turned sort of online uh, social media personality. 
She's got a really incredible story, you know, and this is ultimately, you know, why I decided to, yeah, I'm going to obviously continue the conversation from before in terms of what I'm going through. I mean, that's always what the check-in is all about. And that's what we're doing, by the way. Um, But the other piece is, you know, through this episode with Rebecca, I kind of like, I don't know, I sort of... I sort of noticed something that I hadn't noticed before in terms of what everyone's story seems to be. Everyone that I have had on the podcast so far, and truth be told, everyone who I've encountered who have sort of taken on the inner turmoil battle, right, through therapy or, you know, whatever process it is that we've decided to kind of take it on. And all of us are in the middle of our story, do you know what I mean? You know, this is a point that comes up in this conversation with Rebecca. And it's it's it truly is fascinating to me that, you know, this is sort of one of the fundamental differences between a mental illness and other types of illnesses or other types of sort of bodily challenges that we face, you know, such as, you know, damaging your knee and needing knee surgery, right? So that story sort of lasts as long as the, you know, diagnosis, prognosis, you know, and process towards healing story is done. It's like, you know, I'm injured by knee and then I needed surgery. So I got surgery and then I did rehab and then it got better. End of story. Do you know what I mean? I mean, maybe you have to sort of be aware of it for the rest of your life. Right. But it's not, it's not the same as the mental illness, the mental health life journey, because that really is like, you know, sort of when does, when does it stop? And so, yeah, this is a kind of a theme that comes up today and it's, it's really a wonderful conversation and I'm excited to share it with you and for, you know, us to get to the episode and all that stuff. But I do, like I said, want to do a little bit of a check-in here. This is something, as I've said before, that's a really important part of this podcast process, which is to normalize conversations about mental health and, you know, about mental illness and to, you know, just talk in a down-to-earth way about the kind of things that we do to try to, you know, deal with the different types of stuff that we have to deal with. And so, you know, if you follow the podcast or if you turn back and listen to the last two episodes, you'll see that, you know, I'm a, a person who uh, I became divorced back in 2017. I did have a two-year-long relationship. As a matter of fact, I kind of started this podcast when I shortly after I ended that relationship. And then, you know, during the months of the pandemic, <laughs> I've been sort of sojourning down the road of online dating and of, you know, working to sort of connect with people and to find my, you know, love. And so, yeah, I opened up a handful of uh, accounts on different dating apps. I currently have an account on three different dating apps. One is called OkCupid. The other is called Hinge. And the other is called Bumble. So I'm on all three. (laughs) And, you know, I'm definitely connecting with a couple of people and one in particular at the moment that's, um, you know, pretty interesting and exciting potential connection. But I'm also a person who just uh, went through a a pretty intense 
kind of relationship with a pretty intense kind of ending. And so have faced and sort of had to deal with some pretty interesting emotional reactions to, you know, that experience, including a uh, full on panic attack, which is why the last two episodes have been called panic attack <laughs> to, you know, deep sadness and um, certain thought processes that are probably less than healthy in terms of how I think about myself and things like that, as well as, you know, all those kind of anxious and depressive thoughts that go along with experiences like this, you know, what did you do wrong as an example of an anxious thought, you know, what was it about you that wasn't enough as an example of an anxious, depressive thought, what could I have done differently? What could I do now to, you know, change this outcome, you know, Am I ever going to find anybody for myself? Am I just going to be alone forever? Right. I mean, all those thoughts that kind of come in during a, a time like this have definitely been things that I've been dealing with. And I kind of chose the path of trying to kind of just get on the horse. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, metaphorically speaking, like, like just get out there and meet new people and see what develops and see what's there. You know, don't get lost in this. Don't, you know, don't, uh, don't, I don't know. Don't dive too deep into sort of being alone and have it be dark. Like, see if there's some good people out there to connect with. You know, so I've been definitely doing that. And like online dating sort of always is, it's a mixture of good and bad, you know, <laughs> like depending on the week and the moment, like, you know, sometimes more good than bad, sometimes more bad than good, sometimes a lot more good than bad, sometimes a lot more bad than good, depending on sort of where you're at, you know? And so, yeah, I mean, that's definitely something that I have been sort of, I don't know, dealing with here. <laughs> so, I don't know. I don't even know. It's the kind of thing where, you know, A, I did recently take two months off from the search just to kind of work on myself and to give myself the chance to, you know, grow and get myself to the place that I kind of wanted to be. And that is everything from feeling good about how I was doing at work to, you know, getting my daily swim lap, my daily lap swim routine up to a mile a day. And, you know, I, I sort of did that work. And I kind of feel like, you know, it's okay to like, try to jump back in while at the same time, you know, getting over something else, just to see what's there. Then a part of me is like, dude, is that even fair? And a part of me is like, yeah, but I mean, if I if I meet someone who's the one, it's not going to matter what mental state I'm in. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> like, we'll find a way through. <laughs> so I don't know. I don't know. It's definitely interesting. You know, it's the depressive voice that's so especially challenging about this because 
it just by the nature of it. And I, you know, the truth is, you know, I don't blame her for any aspect of this. I mean, regardless of what the context was, what led to it, you know, sort of what the inner workings were that made it kind of happen the way it happened. You know, all she was doing was being honest with herself and with me in that moment. And so obviously I can't like falter for that. So just from the perspective of wanting to have, you know, I don't know, goodwill in the heart, you know, or sort of a more pure standing that really kind of has to be the mindset in my opinion, but it's like really difficult, you know? And I think especially because of how emboldened the voice of depression kind of is off of the whole experience of it. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? I mean, that's kind of really what makes it sort of the most challenging here is that sort of aspect of it. Because all that voice really ever wants to say to me is that I'm not lovable or deserving of love. And at some point, it's like, man, like, where's the argument against that voice? Do you know what I mean? People say really challenging things to each other in relationships. You know, I've had someone say to me, I'm just not enough, you know, all sorts of things. And those outside voices really add to, you know, the strength of the really difficult inner voices. I think back to my past, to things that I've said to people, you know, and yeah, I've definitely said my share of pretty bad things to people, you know, sort of hurtful things. I think, you know, one of the, I guess, benefits of having a mental illness and having to face it is you gain a really deep understanding of what that vulnerability is like. There's a video on, on YouTube and you can see it on Instagram on occasion of a couple on a roller coaster. Have you ever seen this? It's like this, it's like a boyfriend, girlfriend situation on a roller coaster. And he is anxious beyond belief. I mean, having a full on panic attack and she is sort of being encouraging and trying to like have a good time and to encourage him to have a good time. But he's like really freaking out. And as the roller coaster starts going, he gets so upset that he breaks up with her mid roller coaster. And she sort of takes it really seriously. And you see her demeanor totally change as it's going along. And he's just freaking out and saying, I'm breaking up with you. I'm breaking up with you. I'm breaking up with you. You know, you never listened to me. I told you I, I couldn't do this, you know. <laughs> like, 
And it's passed around as like something that people sort of laugh at, but I, you know, I can't really laugh at it in earnest, like in the mindset of, oh my gosh, how crazy is it that this happened? Because I recognize what he's going through in that. And that is what a panic attack looks like, you know? And clearly, you know, in this instance, something happened in that relationship where he found himself in a situation he allowed himself to be in a situation he maybe felt pressured to be in a situation where he really couldn't handle it and uh yeah so the end of the relationship (laughs) uh what was my point of even sharing the story? <laughs> I think it was to say that, I mean, I, I really try to not be hurtful in the things that I say to people or the things that I end up doing to people. But I do think that I've hurt people. And, you know, it just sucks every time. It sucks to be hurt. It sucks to hurt. You know, both sides of the coin just like suck all around. (laughs) So it's just a really challenging experience, you know, and how to find your way to feeling normal after that for both sides of the coin. You know, like I'm not a bad person because I ended this relationship or because I hurt someone on the way out. It just sucks that it had to happen, but I'm not a bad person because of that. You know, I genuinely tried something and it genuinely didn't work. (laughs) And yeah, that's an awful feeling. It's funny, I have this uh, weird thing where there are moments when, you know, I'll be thinking about something, thinking about like doing something or thinking about like a person in my life, you know, and this has happened from when I was a kid, where like simultaneously as I'm thinking about it, I'm also (laughs) thinking about like just the craziest sort of self-harm images. And I never do it, but it's very strange, like the, how it happens at the same time, you know, (laughs) like exactly while I'm having a train of thought, I'm also thinking a certain self-harm image. (laughs) Kind of thought about what it means sometimes. And I think it usually means stop doing whatever I'm doing. (laughs) Like whatever I'm talking about. Stop talking about it. (laughs) Oh, goodness gracious. So anyway, the point of it is, is that, you know, I'm further on down the road than I was before, you know, and, and that's what happens when you put a lot of thought into something, you know, when you take steps back and then have to struggle to take steps forward again, you know, those, I haven't like, 
in my mind, at least been a lunatic in terms of like reaching out to her, but I've definitely tried to reach out to her, you know, a couple of times and it's making me a little bit like, okay, dude, like maybe stop doing that now, you know? So definitely like had both ends of sort of those experiences and yeah. And then the whole piece about looking to get back on the horse again and try somewhere new, you know, and working hard to get to that place where like, you know, you're giving someone sort of a fair shake, Do you know what I mean? <laughs> where like in a vacuum, you're like really, truly openly considering like, is this a connection that I could see really going somewhere and being what I'm looking for and doing that and sometimes getting further down the road than others, you know, sometimes definitely getting further down the road and, and than others, but you know, ultimately trying to be in that place where you can give someone a fair shake while at the same time, simultaneously, like going through the fucking weed whacking of managing through the now more deeply emboldened depressive voice. Do you know what I mean? I mean, that's like where it's at. I mean, how do you have that confidence to be vulnerable with a person when so often your vulnerability sort of leads to hurt? Do you know what I mean? I mean at some point, is it like, okay, I'm just not going to be vulnerable like that? <laughs> like that. <laughs> and what I guess is when you find your person, you know, you sort of don't care and you just sort of go for it. But at the same time, like, what happens when you think you found your person and then that person is not your person? So now it's like, well, fuck, how do I know? <laughs> And this is my person. And what I've realized is, is that, man, it just takes time, I guess. <laughs> you know, it just takes, it just takes a little while. So that's kind of, that's kind of where it's at. I'm not having uh, panic attacks early in the morning so much anymore, but definitely do find it hard to breathe at times where it's just like, oh man what lies ahead. <laughs> uh, you know, but you just kind of keep breathing, right? I mean, that's sort of the secret is that you like keep breathing and with every breath is a new sort of confirmation of belief that there's something out there, you know, and you just kind of keep going for it. And who knows what will happen. But that's kind of what I got, what I got right now. Uh, anyway, so I think that's probably it. You know, the journey always continues. So we'll see where I'm at next time. Who knows? <laughs> you know, absolutely. Who knows? But uh, I'm, you know, I guess I'm looking forward to it. So we'll see, we'll see what happens in the meantime, this really is an awesome episode. You know, I'm uh, excited to hear what you think about it. Definitely excited to jump in. 
As always, if you want to take part in the conversation, you can still find me at josh at periveritas.com. Again, that's josh at periveritas.com. I don't know why I say it twice every time. This is a fucking podcast, so you can just rewind it and listen again. But uh, anyway, so yeah, feel free to email me there. In the meantime, you know, please do share and subscribe and like these episodes. And uh, yeah, hope all is well. And looking forward to, you know, talking more next time. So actually, as we get started, the other thing I forgot to mention to you when we were talking just before is that um, the not only do we kind of like have this whole conversation about mental health and all that stuff, but actually also when we're done, I'll email you the full episode. You know, I'll sort of edit it and then email you the full episode and then you'll let me know what you're comfortable with, not comfortable with. I'll take off whatever you want me to take off. I'll put on whatever you want me to put on. If you'd say, hey, I, actually, I don't ever want to put it up on Spotify and I'll just never, it'll just be a conversation that we had, you know? Okay. <laughs> so that's the gist. But anyway, so yeah. So how are you doing? I'm doing well. It's, you know, it's the end of the day, so I'm a little tired. From running around with two little babies, but I'm good. Yeah, yeah, I totally get that. Um, I, you and I met, geez, it must be like two years ago, more, three, maybe four years ago at this point. I want to say back in like 2015, 2016, maybe as much as five years ago, when I was a guest on a show that you were on. Is that right? Yep, it would have been sometime between 2015 and 2018. Yeah, yeah. What was yeah. the name of that show? What was the name of that show again? Smarter San Diego. That's right, Smarter San Diego. Is that yeah. show still happening? Um, you know, I don't know. I'm not um part of the <laughs> production anymore. I pretty much after I had my son, um, I pretty much stopped working in general. So, um. Yeah, I think Derek is doing some stuff here and there, um, probably from home because of the pandemic. Yeah, because of the pandemic. However, uh, yeah, however, I'm not entirely sure what direction he's gone in. Um, he had a baby not long after I did and was been running yeah. out of business. So, um, yeah, yeah, I'm not entirely it's, sure what they're doing at the moment, but it's it funny like working there. Yeah, no, I, I definitely enjoyed uh, being a guest on that show. And um, it was, you know, sort of good to meet you there. Then at some point, we became Instagram friends. And yeah. I was sort of able to kind of keep track of where things have kind of gone for you. I think you did some other, um, you know, some other TV stuff after that. And then yeah, after you had your kid, you definitely stepped aside and you still do quite a bit of kind of like, online stuff do you know what i mean like i you know yeah. kind of yeah. like yeah so i was producing my own show uh which was based on personal development and health and wellness and all mm-hmm. that good stuff and then after i had my son you know i had the intention of continuing it and having yeah. him along with me and then you know all the bricks fell and i got got a good taste of motherhood <laughs> so yeah. that dream was kind of I don't want to say it was out the window I mean you know it's, it's this is just like a little phase I like to tell myself yeah. and I'll get back to it 
one day. Um, so yeah, now I just live on Instagram sharing, you know, my life as a mother with my now two babies. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm still kind of active online and soon, soon I'll be, I'll go back to producing, um, video content. I was going to say live broadcasting, but I cannot guarantee it will be live broadcasted. So yeah. Uh, I mean, well, I, I find all of your messaging on Instagram to be really inspirational and you've been so open and talking about some of the challenges that you faced and things like that. And you, and you have a, a really kind of human approach to how you talk about your daily life as a mom. It's something that I can relate to quite a bit as a dad. You know, I'm a, I'm a single dad now. So I, mm-hmm. when I, when I have my girls with me and I have them 50, 50, it's sort of just me. Um, but they're older now. And when they were younger, and when my my youngest was just a little infant, I was actually the stay-at-home dad for four years. Oh. And it was a really, really interesting sort of time and experience in terms of just what it means to define the work that you do every day. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, it, especially when you're used to, you know, being out there and doing things like creating content, in my case, I had been a, a you know a, a professional full time rabbi for three years, and then I took four years off to be a stay at home dad. So, just having a community out there that you know sort of needed you on a day to day basis as their one of their leaders took to go from that to you know changing diapers multiple times a day and managing naps mm-hmm. and doing the you know constant samba that is laundry. Where it's just sort of three steps forward, two steps back, three steps forward, two steps back, you know. And by the way, in a really interesting way, doing all that as a man, you know, without sort of a natural built-in support network of other dudes who are doing the same thing. And in that weird mm, kind yeah. of like, you know, that weird sort of toxic masculinity thing of like, who am I as a man if this is what I'm doing? You know what I mean? And like all those weird answers that I had sort of prepared when somebody would ask me like, what's going on and all this stuff. So <laughs> this is like yeah. um, definitely something that I can, that I can relate to. How did you, I mean, I, you know, you know, the format I want to get to, if this is stepping on kind of like the, the bigger conversation we're about to have, maybe we should just start that. But I was going to say, how did you manage the transition from being a content creator to being a full-time mom? Like, was that a strange transition for you? Oh Yeah. Uh, like I said, uh, not too long ago, it was just like a ton of bricks just dumped on top of me because I thought, oh, you know, how hard it can it be taking care of a baby and, you know, making some videos. And I had watched plenty of, you know, um, other mothers doing um, motherhood content on YouTube and whatnot. And I thought, oh, I could do that. <laughs> and I think, you know, then the floodgates so far as um, the anxiety and depression really opened and it's been kind of a last couple of years have been a little stuck in getting back into all of that. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. The transition was definitely tough. I think there was a lot going on in my life at the time as is, and then adding a baby onto that. Um, so, you, you know, I had been seeing um, <laughs> a therapist while I was pregnant and yeah. so I thought, oh, I'm I'm good. I've got this. And <laughs> no, I was very wrong. Yeah, the body just said no. The body just said no. 
Um, all right. Yeah. Well, I'd, I'd love to back up to the beginning and then get to this part of the story with all the right context and all the right background and everything else. So why don't we just go ahead and dive right in? Um, you know how I want to start this. So where does your story of kind of mental health begin? I mean, where does your where does your journey of mental health begin as you tell your story? Oh, man. Um, it's really hard to pinpoint where exactly it started. Um, I think for me, uh, like many others, I'd say, I grew up in a pretty good home. My parents are still married. Um, we're well off, went to a good school. So I always feel like I had a really good life. And um, I think the, the thing is, is I have this special skill that I can imagine a lot of people have where I numb out my emotions to the point I don't realize that I'm dealing with this anxiety and this depression. So, um, you know, I definitely went through the, the teenage angst and drama and, you know, I think, I think most people went through that weird teenager phase where woe is me and nobody understands me type of deal. Um, but I think it, definitely rocked my world when I became a mom. You know, there were a couple of low points when I was about 20. Mm. I'm not going to go into too many details about that one. It's a very, very personal experience that I had. Uh, but I yeah. definitely, there was a lot of time spent crying myself to sleep and just eating, you know, McDonald's French fries and ice cream. <laughs> Uh, yeah. to the soul, so to say. Um, yeah. And then as a mother, I mean, one of those, like, really vivid events where I was like, wow, this is, this is intense. Um, I just remember being, like, super sweaty. It's still in my pajamas. It was the afternoon at this point. Hungry, oh. thirsty, very tired, screaming, shaking, crying. And on the other side of the door was a crying baby, and I don't know, I was just done. Um, yeah? Yeah, it was just one of those moments where I had to just put the baby down, let him cry, and handle myself real quick. Because um, it was there was a lot of emotion and happening all at one time. And it's, I don't know, it was a really scary feeling, so I just had to put him down and leave. And then, you, you know... Um, go ahead, what were you going to say? I was going to say, but then, you know... You feel that intense emotion, and then the next thing, it's the guilt. Like, I can't believe I felt that way. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say, so you really, I mean, when you think back, you might have noticed something internally, you know, when you were younger, you know, in your 20s, like you said, but you were able to kind of manage it in a way that, you know, kind of left you feeling like, you know, there weren't going to, there wasn't going to be any issues sort of moving forward. Yeah. Yeah. Now there's actually something else that you and I have in common. And I wonder if this sort of relates to the story here. And I've never, I have, it's funny because I think a lot about Myers-Briggs, but I have yet to talk about it on the podcast, mm. but you and I, if I'm correct, have exactly the same personality type um, on the Myers-Briggs test, don't we? The INFJ. Yes, the INFJ personality type. <laughs> and 
I have yet to talk about it on the podcast, but you and I have connected about it sort of in the past. And actually, I'm as I was listening to you, I, I kind of got extra excited because it, it feels like this might relate. So for, for those who, I'm, I'm not like even close to an expert in the Myers-Briggs, but for those who are listening and don't know what the Myers-Briggs is, it's one of you know, what is many sort of personality inventory tests where you answer essentially a whole mess of questions and then it gives you a pretty sophisticated category and then gives you a readout in terms of what your personality is and, you know, how it kind of functions in the world. So it just so happens that Rebecca and I are both the INFJ personality type, which is, among other things, the rarest in the world. Yeah. <laughs> The exact same personality type as Jesus, by the way, which is hilarious to me because, like, oh, wow. he took the test. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> like, <Right? laughs> Myers-Briggs existed 2,000 years ago? Like, I didn't know that, you know? <laughs> but but, um, but essentially, the personality type is a highly em empathetic sort of almost magical levels of empathy personality mm -hmm. type where it's very, very difficult for people like me and you to, um, what's the word, um, filter out background emotional noises that most people don't even notice. Yeah. 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 Okay. So <laughs> let's talk yeah. about this. How do you, I mean, not even getting into what happened specifically yet, but thinking about who you were at 20 and what was happening to you then. Do you think that there's something sort of related there to what then happened to you when you became pregnant? Yep. <laughs> Very much so. Um, oh, gosh. It's. Uh, let's see. When I was 20. Yeah, there was a very similar. How do I put it into. Words, really. Um, I was going to school at the time, so I'd started. No, I had been at college for a while. Um, you know, just kind of fumbling around, figuring out what I want to do. I knew it had something to do with productions. So at the time I was doing film production, mm -hmm. uh, as opposed to broadcasting, uh, 20 years ago, I'm 30 now. Yeah. I was just really lost, you know, and again, it was one of those things where life was really well, I was working, I was making money, I had a car, and um, everything seemed on the right track, and then mm -hmm. the rug was pulled out from underneath, and sweet, innocent old me got a good taste of the real world, um, yeah. which, really spent so, ooh, which really sent me spiraling down. Uh, so, yeah, I would say it was a very similar situation to uh, having my son. While I was pregnant with him, I, I mean, we were planning, my husband and I were planning our wedding. We were right in the thick of wedding planning when we found out I was pregnant. Yeah. So it was stressful, but it was very exciting at the same time. Yeah. And uh, it was more so when, after I had him. Uh, we moved when he was two days old. Um, so, and then Thomas had just started working at a new job, so he couldn't take that much time off of work. Yeah. Oh, my Lord. Um, yeah, there was a lot going on. 
So Do you realize that you just listed four of the five most stressful things that happen in the life? I do. I mean, <laughs> no, I yeah. Didn't. Yeah. I mean, when we list out, like, I mean, what are the five most stressful things that happen to basically everybody if you live long enough is yeah. getting married, moving, switching jobs, having a child, and then issues around sickness and death. You were doing four out of the five in one. There were job switching, you were having a child, getting married, and there was moving going on at the same time. Yeah, and you know what? We'll make it five out of five because I was grieving the loss of my grandfather. Five out of five all at once. Yeah. Uh, of course. Yeah, of, <laughs> I mean, and you're a, a highly empathetic person. Of course it was a lot to handle. Yeah. You know, <laughs> like it makes perfect sense. Yeah, and I think what makes it harder to handle is – especially as an adult with children now, I realize how much I lack with emotional intelligence and in just being to express my emotion or even identify my emotions. Yeah. In all of this, you know, emotional baggage and it's just sitting, I don't know what to do with it. So that, yeah, that's kind of the process I'm going through now is learning to, to let, let it go. And um, yeah, what what is it? Just to move through life with those emotions, healthy in a healthy way. <laughs> yeah. yeah, absolutely. So, uh, if you don't mind, so you you kind of started talking about you know what what had begun happening after you had your first child, after you had your son. So, um, were you, I know because we've talked about it in the past, I think postpartum depression is a big part of your story. Yeah. Yes. Mm -hmm. So if you don't mind me asking, was that when it started after you had your son? Yeah, pretty much. Um, so I think I left off my, uh, husband had started a new job. We had moved to when he was two days old. Um, so I was alone pretty much at two weeks postpartum. And, you know, like I said, we had moved, so we didn't really have that much in the house. I oh, was God. completely unprepared, like not even I mean, like we had food in the house. But the last thing you want to do when you're two weeks postpartum is cook meals. Yeah. And Leonidas had had to go to the NICU at four days old. Mm -hmm. So... Oh, it was just a really messy first couple of weeks. And I think it that visit to the the NICU kind of set me off a little bit too. Thinking, you know, oh my gosh, I've done something wrong. Now that we're yeah. in the hospital and then being around all the other babies who are also in the hospital. It was a lot. It was a lot. Yeah. Um, so... I mean, obviously he's fine and I knew he would be fine. So then coming home and, you know, I'm breastfeeding and then pumping and then breastfeeding and pumping and breastfeeding and pumping. And there would just be days where I'd be stuck in bed for hours. Yeah. I have no food. You know, I have food in the house, but like I said, you know, I don't have anything like cooked and ready to go. And, um, you know, trying to make sure I'm hydrated and, take a shower and go to the bathroom and get dressed and just do all of like these normal little things that people that we all take for granted. Yeah. And none of that was happening. <laughs> so oh, God. 
yeah that I think that that's kind of where it all started um and then when my emotions it's kind of like I like to explain it as a soda bottle you know there's only so much shaking into the soda bottle before the the lid pops off and you have this hot sticky mess and that's essentially what happened with me being postpartum you know I'm trying to contain it all in and act like oh this is just how it is and then obviously it reached a breaking point and I think the other thing is like I know I have support I know I can reach out to people and there's another thing I'm working on is just simply asking for the help which was a huge lesson for me when I had my daughter was a huge lesson for me having my son but I applied more of the asking for help when I had my daughter um but it's just it's different and um we don't have this village mentality anymore we hear all the time it takes a village to raise a child yeah and it's not that people don't want to help they do just everyone's so busy you know women are working you know, my fa- my entire family work all of my friends work and they're busy yeah. and they have their own lives they I'm the only one of my friends or at least my very close friends who has a baby so yeah. or has two children now so um and it's not that they don't understand they do they have other families who have kids it's just yeah. it's not in their it's just it's just not in their life <laughs> so yeah. sort of sort of not in their lexicon just yet in terms that's, of that's, that's the word lexicon yeah. um the big the big ideas are probably all there, but the you know the nitty gritty of it is not anything that you can really understand until you actually live it. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and I think about too, like you know, people, you know, family members who had babies. I'm like, man, I wish I'd been there for them more. Now that I know how difficult this can be. So. Have you? Have I'm you? Yeah. Have you? Have you taken the time to calculate that it? it actually took all five of the most stressful things that could happen in a life to like give you pause. Do you know what I mean? Like what if one less of those things would have happened? Do you think you still would have gone through what you went through or did it really, really take all five things to truly like give you pause like that? You know, I think maybe not moving would have definitely taken some strain off of, <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, cause we were living with my parents before. Uh-huh. So I think just taking that time, maybe just calling the landlord and saying, Hey, we're going to need a couple of weeks. <laughs> um, <laughs> so that was silly of us. I think that would have definitely taken off some of that, that pressure in the, in the beginning, in the beginning. Yeah. yeah. Or even if you're, you know, and obviously you can't lay blame anywhere, but like, cause who knows, right? But like, even like, let's say if your partner, you know, had a significant paternity leave that he had the flexibility to, to do. Do you know what I mean? Like that might have been different as well, as opposed oh, to three absolutely. weeks postpartum and, you know, <laughs> so all those, all those pieces kind of add up. My, my story is really different. I mean, I, I kind of had, I, I was really like, descending for a while and kind of teetering on the edge for a while, but able to maintain my balance until it was like one last little, 
you know, nugget is added to the pile on one side and then it all toppled over, you know, and, and that for me, it wasn't a little nugget. It was the death of my father. Um, so mm-hmm. it was actually quite a big nugget, but it was still like I needed a tipping point, you know, whereas you just kind of got tsunamied, you know, by a whole bunch of a whole bunch of things at once. I, I really needed a tipping point. So yeah. that's a kind of a fascinating kind of difference between you know, our, our brick falling moments. So how did, you know, it was pretty early on after the birth of your son that you really knew that, that you were sort of way off. How, how did that manifest? If you don't mind me asking. Um, okay. I want to be careful about how I answer this. Cause I think there's still some things that I haven't quite resolved yet. Sure. And, um, I definitely want to be respectful of yeah. myself and my family. Um, yeah. so, Definitely, definitely lots of guilt, mm-hmm. lots of feeling bad or thinking certain things um, for experiencing certain emotions, you know, because it's like, this is weird because I'm living my dream right now. I'm married to my yeah. best friend. I've had my first baby. Like, I'm checking some things off of my, you know my list right now and I'm happy about them yet at the same time I'm like internally just like blood boiling like angry and frustrated and have this anxiety these like crazy thoughts running through my head like what if this happens to my baby what if this happens to me what if this happens to them he's like oh my gosh like and even to this day, like I have these thoughts and I have to stop myself and be like, that's not real. Like knock it off. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> how does it, sorry. I hear brain fart. No, no, it's fine. I hear things happening in the background and it sounds adorable. And Oh yeah. The bedtime here. <laughs> um, he can get out of his crib now. So. Oh, yep. Bedtime. Yep. That stage. Yeah, yeah. That's when it's like, why do we have this crib again? It's just a parkour course at this point. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, yeah. <laughs> you know, like, we're much safer with a regular bed, guys. Let's just go ahead and move with that. <laughs> it's funny. We're getting there. We're getting there. Um, so, okay, so how is it manifesting? So, yeah, there was the the mom guilt, you know, why am I feeling this way, even though I am should be so happy. yeah. Very um, anxious, very anxious, catastrophic thinking, which um, I, I've got both of those things, by the way, the dad guilt in terms of um, how could I ever do enough? You know, I'm not good enough to the task, that kind of those kind of thoughts. Yeah. And then also the horrible, horrible, catastrophic kind of mind fuckery type images that I sometimes give myself, you know, where it's like you just imagine awful things happening to your children. And it's like, why am I thinking about this right now? <laughs> like, stop it. You know, <laughs> it's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, so there was yeah. definitely, there's been some rage uh, mm-hmm. so that there's, you know, I've been some times, like I said, I've had to put the baby down and go and yell into a pillow or something. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, I'm not gonna lie. There was some resentment with my husband as well. Seeing, and, yeah. and it's not that, okay, I, it's not that I. I think men are definitely susceptible to the postpartum anxiety and depression as well. I think there's definitely sure. a huge burden that that men take on. 
Um, but there's but not a hormonal way. shift, you know? Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, but seeing him, you know, go out to work and, you know, making money and going to the gym and it was just like, oh, <laughs> I'm stuck here yeah. at home. <laughs> yeah. And you're going out and having dinner with clients. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So... So yeah, it was all really... those things together. Yeah. Yeah. So those are some of the ways that it sort of manifested. At what point did you kind of, you know, realize that this is not like, maybe this isn't like, an, like I don't know, this isn't like the healthiest way for me to be being right now. Do you know what I mean? Like there's something yeah. going on with me internally that, that maybe is a little bit different. And not supposed to be like this. Like, at what point did that sort of jump out to you? So I'd had a, at my, I had a two week, no, a one week checkup and then the six week checkup. Yeah. And at the first one, I filled out a questionnaire and they had said, okay, and actually I had to do it twice because it was long story, but um, I did it twice. <laughs> between two different doctor's offices Uh and they both were a little bit concerned. Uh Um, And even the, what's she called? What are they called? The nurse practitioner that took care of me while I was pregnant. Yeah. This is, she's like, this doesn't seem like you. She's like, you were, you know, you handled your pregnancy so well. You're always so happy. And she's like, I'm really concerned about, you know, the results I've got on your test. And she she didn't push me, but she, she made a point of saying, Hey, you know, why don't you call so-and-so who was the therapist Yeah. and make another appointment with her. And I kind of brushed it off. I thought, Oh, you know, why would I do that? Like, I'm really happy right now. Like that stuff seems normal, right? Just to feel a little bit differently about my life. And then it came up again at the six week, um, when I was with the people who with the midwives who actually, um, we're in the birthing room with me. They brought it up too, and they're like, "Ah, oh, you know." And they gave me some resources and said, "You know, here's some people that you can contact." And again, I brushed it off, just being headstrong, um, yeah. and thinking that I was an exception to the rule, I guess. So it was definitely one of those days like I described earlier where I'm, you know, screaming and shaking and baby's crying and I'm having to tell myself like baby is having a hard time right now. This is nothing personal. Yeah. But the fact that I'm even feeling like this, like this is not, this isn't okay. (laughs) Right. Um, Right. And I, I think there were some things that came up on social media as well in regards to postpartum maternal health. Uh, mental health. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, I kind of realized I'm like, okay, this this requires a little bit of assistance. So, what a uh, what a life changing moment, you know that that you actually had the amazing kind of internal wherewithal mm-hmm. to, and I sort of say this all the time on the pod, like, but dealing with mental health really is, you know, fixing the machine from inside the machine as the machine. 
and <laughs> yeah. you, you know, and so, I mean, what you're doing is having to recognize as yourself that you're not quite yourself, which is a really, really hard fucking thing to do. I yeah. mean, it's that step though, that is this kind of life-saving moment though, right? Where it's like, oh, right, I'm not fully in control of what's happening to me internally right now and I need mm-hmm. to get hold of this. That's a really intense moment that like, you know, becomes sort of the the point where you can actually turn the corner. But, you know, until you get there, that's really hard, really, yeah. really hard. How long did you go before you kind of had that realization? Do you remember? I think it had been a few months. It had uh, been a few months. Probably like two or three months, yeah. So you went like fully between eight to 12 weeks of like hardcore white knuckling life <laughs> yeah. before you were like, yeah, like, Wait a minute. oh my God. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no, exactly. That's incredible. That's really incredible. Um, it's one of the weird things about like, especially I find with the story of depression is that depression really kind of starts from strength in a weird way. It's almost like, it's like my body, like knew that I needed to slow down and stop on the course that I was on. So at first it like threw my back out a bunch of times and I just like dealt with it. And then it gave me like debilitating stomach aches and I just like dealt with it. And it was, and then it was finally just like, dude, you're not going to like, like, you're not going to realize what we're trying to say here. Depression, you know, and just dump a, a big, box of bricks basically on your head in that moment. I mean, but it was like, in a lot of ways, it was like because of my stubborn strength leading up to it, that I ended up in kind of the the debilitated position that I was in. Does that make sense? Does that like resonate with you? Oh, 100%. <laughs> right? Isn't it fascinating? Yeah. It's so fascinating. So once you realized that there was something going on there, what did you do? Uh, you know... I still had to really um, come to grips with it, it. There's nothing to be ashamed of. So it took a little yeah. while for me to acknowledge it and then respect it for what it was. Yeah. So I was, had re- I reached out to a few friends as well. Um, and I realized, I'm like, you know, I really need a support system. Yeah. I can't just keep calling my mom as, as much as I love her and as helpful as she is and as much as she wants to help. Like, I can't mm-hmm. keep calling her mom. So uh, I reached out to a few other um, – there was, like, one other woman that I had met while I was pregnant, and her daughter was born a week before my son. So I reached out to her because we had been on a walk with other uh, women who were pregnant. And she added me to a group of mothers who were local. So spending some time with them really helped. And then we also did some very intimate small group settings where we unpacked a lot of this motherhood, um, (laughs) the woes that come with motherhood with a professional as well. Oh, cool. Um, yeah, it was really nice. And again, it's one of those things. I went in all hard headed, like, you know, I'm just going to share my story. This is going to be cool. And the next thing you start hearing all the stories and it's like, oh, wow, like this is really deep. And <laughs> I didn't realize yeah. how, like, 
I'm in a way I'm like gaslighting myself about <laughs> my own experience. Like, how do you do that? Um, so yeah, now now I'm I'm in a place. I'm like, okay, I should probably and hmm, <laughs> I do need to go and get um, seek professional help again. I don't need okay. to. I definitely feel like I'm doing so much better than I was. Yeah. Um, it wasn't until I got pregnant again where I, it was another like check-in point. Like, okay, this is a lot worse than I realized. Because when I yeah. got pregnant again, it sent fear through my body. Like, oh, I have to go through not pregnancy, not the birth, but I have to go through postpartum again. And that feeling yeah. of loneliness and the the crazy thoughts and you know just all of that stuff and i'm gonna have a toddler at the same time oh god so um it's been had you had you had you gotten yourself a therapist before that did you get yourself some professional help at you know during the first bout with postpartum uh nope so no, you I, built... I went to like group settings but i never yeah. did anything one-on-one Good Lord, you are like Wonder Woman. So you basically like just were like, well, fuck it, I have to take charge of this. And then you built a, a supportive friendship network that did have some group counseling opportunities. But for the most yeah. part, what you did was built a super supportive friendship, friendship network. Through hearing other women's stories, you came to a deeper understanding that you're not alone and that, yeah. you know, um, and that was like super helpful. And you were able to ground and center yourself through that experience. And then, you know, having built up kind of this sort of support network, you then, you know, amazingly, bravely, but also probably terrifiedly so embarked on your journey of having your second child. <laughs> yeah. Did you feel, did you feel that kind of fear the second you found out that you were pregnant? Um, yeah. or, okay. So you really like understood sort of what was going on there. Um, yeah. and how quickly were you like, okay, this is not, I'm already can tell that this is, this is not going smoothly. That took, hmm. It probably took a couple of days for me to realize that because I found out and I didn't tell anyone for a couple of weeks. Yeah. And my husband was home when I found out. Okay. Um, but I internalized it. And it, yeah, it wasn't it took me a couple of days to go, "Oh, wait, hang on a second. Like like yes, I'm excited about having another baby, but I'm not I'm like scared." Yeah. This is not this isn't normal. I mean, maybe it is. I don't know. But you know, I'm like too scared to go and tell my husband, or my mom, and okay. I'm packing this all in by myself. And part of that too was, it was a week before my son's first birthday. Yeah. And we had family coming into town. <laughs> so it's like, yeah. So yeah, yeah, it was, okay, so it was about a week, about a week. It was after they left when I realized, wait, I didn't. I didn't tell anyone. Right, right. I whole like surprise, this really exciting news to myself. And even at Leo's 
birthday party people you know kept bringing up like oh when you have another baby and you're gonna have more babies and I think one of our friends had just had a baby as well and they're like oh here's your birth control like enjoy now before you have another one and I'm just there like oh my god (laughs) do I I have a really tough question in my brain and if you don't want to answer it you don't have to but I'm wondering if you even considered in that moment terminating the pregnancy and not telling it like was that a thought that popped into your head at that moment no 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 not even popped into your head not nope. no no in my mind i was i was gonna have a baby um it was just you i just were myself, really yeah you just were not you just were not interested in sharing that information with anybody <laughs> yeah like can i make it to the second trimester and just keep it to myself <laughs> yeah i just needed to process the news <laughs> like oh dang it and you know it's one of those things too that we set up expectations or at least I set up an expectation for myself that well originally we were going to get married and we would wait two years so right. this year we would have started having children hmm. right um and right. Then it happened again like okay well we're going to wait until Leo is at least two and then, you know, we'll, we'll think, we'll see, we'll see where we're at and maybe we'll have another baby. So, you know, not even 11 months later, <laughs> surprise, you're pregnant again. Um, right. Right. It was, it was a shock for me. So I had to spend a couple of weeks processing <laughs> what was happening. Processing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Um, and it was, it was, it was sort of like the process of that processing that suddenly kind of opened your mind to the, to the very real kind of reality that it was going to be a struggle for you in the same way that it was before with your first, that you were definitely going to have some depression issues, perhaps that comes along with it and pretty serious anxiety issues and then emotional issues to go along with that. Yeah. Like that became yeah. pretty obvious pretty quick. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, so, I felt like I was just getting over the hump, or I just got over the hump, and then finding out I was pregnant again was like, oh, wow, okay, maybe I'm not over the hump yet. Yeah, dive right back into the mud. It's time yeah. to dive right back into the mud. Goodness gracious. Um, so what did you do during your pregnancy to kind of help yourself through it? So my pregnancy with my daughter was... Uh, it was a rough ride. Um, oh God. Um, so, <laughs> Do you have to, by the way, if you want to take care of that, I'm totally cool. We can put a pause and and then jump back into it. But I, you know, it's up to you. <laughs> yeah, I don't mind me crying in the background. Let me go check in real quick. Okay. <laughs> I didn't even notice until I said something. Good grief. Okay. Uh, okay. <laughs> Just a minute. <laughs> okay. Hello. Hey. Hey. Thanks for is waiting. It, no worries. Is it good now? You're ready to go? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I, uh, I discovered this morning he has a tooth growing. He has a molar growing. So just oh. oh. Poor guy. Oh, my Lord. Yeah. yeah. That's the worst. That's absolutely the worst. So um, where we left off was um, I think I had asked you what you – what are some of the things that you did during your second pregnancy to kind of help you deal, you know, manage things better than you were able to your first pregnancy? 
Yes, so second pregnancy, I think something to note is yeah. that before I get into what happened with my pregnancy, second pregnancy, uh, is that so I'd done like the group sessions, yeah, but there was obviously some kind of resistance to doing like one on one, yeah, uh, that I acknowledged at that time so the intention the plan was to start seeing a therapist while i was yeah yeah do you remember what the resistance was could you verbalize it um i think it's just um being vulnerable yeah sharing and um expressing those emotions yeah uh, for anyone who listens to this and has any interest in astrology, I have, I'm an Aquarius and we okay. have a reputation for not being very emotional people. Okay. <laughs> we're very emotional people, but we're just not very good at expressing it. So. And as an INFJ, you basically have make a full time living of absorbing other people's emotions. So, <laughs> so, so what you're basically saying is that you absorb all the emotions in the world into a totally unemotional mindset. Yep. <laughs> what is that like? <laughs> it's uh, oh, it's a whirlwind. Yeah, because I got the INFJ thing going, but I'm also a Leo, and uh, okay. Leos are are different. Yeah. They're fun. Yeah. <laughs> we can be fun. We can I definitely be fun. Friends. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, okay. So you definitely resisted um, the idea of one-on-one therapy because of the kind of fear of emotional kind of release, which I get, by the way, because that's like when my sessions are the best or the, are the times where I'm like completely exhausted afterwards from just crying my eyeballs out for the entire yeah. time. I mean, that's kind of like, works. yeah, all the waterworks. Exactly. So you really resisted. And did you resist the individual therapist sort of through the pregnancy too? Did you continue to do that? No. So the, huh. I, so Miss Scarlett is a pandemic baby. Um, okay. <laughs> well, even before that all happened again it was just one of those experiences where like we were just experiencing a whole nother tsunami so yeah. like okay we go to therapy but we were waiting for insurance medical insurance oh my, type of oh stuff my gosh. figuring yeah. out um you know who would take our insurance and all that uh-huh. And then in February, I, like literally days after my 30th birthday, I had to go to hospital. I'd have surgery. Um, okay. I was at high risk for premature labor. Oh, gosh. So, and I had no idea. Um, wow. So... I had to stop working and then was still like trying to figure out the whole health insurance thing. And then the insurance that we did have got dropped. So oh I found that out two days before the lockdown, the national lockdown. Oh my God. So 
then I was trying to apply for Medi-Cal because I wasn't working in the midst of a pandemic. <laughs> right. Uh, two days before a lockdown. And it was just a mess from the get-go. As you can imagine, I'm sure there were so many people trying to get health insurance at that time. <clears throat> so yeah, a lot I, of people were about to lose their jobs. Yeah, well, we're losing their jobs. Yeah. And a lot of people were sick as well. So yeah. Um, I pretty much spent the second half of my pregnancy and then postpartum without any health insurance. Oh, so, my God. Yeah. So then, you know, dealing with that and going to doctor's appointments and several doctor's appointments because I had to be monitored a lot um, by myself, which was a little bit scary. Uh-huh. And then trying to get help, financial help from the county and, um, you know, unemployment assistance, which I'm still working on, by the way. Oh, my God. I have not received any financial assistance. And I should be working now. I should actually be really busy right now. But I'm, I'm not. Because right. uh, before I got pregnant, I was doing uh, youth sports live streaming. Uh-huh. This time of year is pretty busy. The summertime and then the fall is usually really busy for me. And there's nothing happening at the moment. So No, yeah. yeah. So I have the health insurance. And to be honest, I've just been so freaking exhausted with all the phone calls and all the paperwork and all of the things that I'm still working on that the final step of just calling the freaking therapist, <laughs> I'm re- I've hit that resistance again. So it's one of those things that every day I'm like, okay, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. And then life, life throws its curveballs in, you know, heaps of laundry and crying children. Yeah. You (laughs) said, I mean, I I needed a therapist years and years before I ended up getting one, you know, Mm -hmm. and there's no question that I waited until my back was absolutely against the wall. And I had no other choice but to get one. And then I finally got one. And, um, you know, I'm really thankful for it. Uh, five year, five plus years in to like to yeah. doing it, you know, but it's definitely like, yeah, I, I needed my back up against the wall in order to yeah. finally take that step, you know? Yeah. So. And I we found someone who uh, was recommended to me through the midwives that took care of me with my, well, with both my kids, technically. So um, I've already reached out to her. So I have reached out to her. So there is that. I just haven't made the appointment to actually start doing the work. It's lined up, though. You know who you want to call. That's there. And look, you might go meet her and not like her. Do you know what I mean? And then you you have to find There's that, too. There's that, too. And I I wonder... (sighs) I don't know if you can hear that, but my cats are playing right next to it's my fine. Cat. <laughs> it's um, uh, What were they saying? Um, I said that you might not like her. And then you're like, oh, yeah. 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 yeah, there's that other thing. It's like, oh, what if I don't like her? Then I have to go through this process again. <laughs> yeah, to find somebody else, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I had to. I started with one, and then I didn't like them, and then I switched to the one that I have now, and I mm-hmm. really like her. And it was that it was. My aunt had told me, and I've said this a couple times in the podcast, but you have to 
you have to think of therapists like genes, essentially, which is to say, like, try on a pair. If you don't like them, fucking toss them to the side, try on the next pair. You know what I mean? But they have to yeah. fit right. They have to fit right in order for you to want to go ahead and start working with that one. And sometimes it's just whatever feels like the right fit. And it's just, you know, you could have two pairs of jeans side by side that are exactly the same brand, exactly the same sizing, everything. You put one on, it doesn't work. You put another one on and it's a perfect fit, you know? So you just kind of never know. So I, I started with this dude and I just can't like, I can't really let myself be emotional with men Mm. so much that's just like a thing for me partially because of some kind of weird sexist thing i'm sure but then also yeah. because like i've got like i was raised mostly by women i've got three little sisters i've got two daughters so just generally speaking i relate more to women than i do <laughs> men in general and yeah. i started with this one guy and it was like i told my whole story and i was just kind of able to tell it and be dispassionate about the whole thing and had a nice conversation about stuff but it wasn't like truly cathartic and then yeah. the first time I sat down with my therapist, so I still see now, it was like, I tried to tell the story, but all that came out was just weepiness and all that stuff. So, you know, that's when I sort of knew that she was definitely the right, the right one for me was yeah. like feeling that emotional release. You know, I wonder like, is there something that you're kind of specifically looking for in a therapist that is sort of whatever, or you're kind of like just trying to feel your way through it, I guess, when you first go and meet with her um well I'm definitely going to feel my way through it but um I definitely want to see someone who's going to really pull out those deep buried skeletons that I'm holding on to yeah um, I, I did a lot of personal development work uh between 2015 and when I again when I had Leo yeah and I you know I think part of that not getting the help in the first place was the kind of arrogance that oh I've got all the tools like I know what I'm doing um you know trying to apply the things that I had learned into this situation and yeah the other part was, was realizing wait some of the stuff that I learned was that I shouldn't be doing this alone so that was something else that I had to come to terms with is that well, I'm doing this alone and that's it's not the best way to do things right right that's exactly right um you know that's absolutely something that I had to kind of figure out how to come to terms with too was that like it's just so hard to I mean it's doubly it's it's doubly hard um to ask for help because on one hand it requires that sort of step of like actually being able to look at yourself in the mirror and say like, I need help, you know, mm -hmm. which is to say that like my life has come to a point where I can't really handle it by myself right now. And that's a really vulnerable thing to have to admit, you know? And, um, and then the other piece is that simultaneously there's a depressive voice going on in my head, at least that is saying you don't deserve help. Yeah. Does that resonate yeah. with you? Yeah, that you don't deserve help. Like, this is your problem, not someone else's problem. Like, yeah. Um, yeah. If you, you weren't so. Deal with it. Yeah, it's like if you weren't so defunct, then you wouldn't be going through this. You know, that's like a thought that I have sometimes, where it's just like, what's wrong with you? You know, and, and to kind of yeah. weed whack through those thoughts to the point where being like, I just need, I need someone else to help me. 
I deserve, like, I deserve help, you know, is, is such a tough leap to make. I, I had a really hard time with that. Yeah. So ultimately I want to find someone who's going to shine a light on those blind spots. Yeah. Yeah. And then continue, you know? continue that sort of hard work. Yeah. 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 And help me answer those questions. Like why, why do I think like that? Yeah. I mean, I'll tell you, it's like I'm, five years in, I'm finally starting to work on a lot of that stuff because I had so many other things I had to kind of, again, weed whack through in order to kind of get to that point. But what I've kind of discovered for me is that there was a point in my life where I just decided that it wasn't beneficial for me to feel anger anymore. Yeah. But I decided I was like, I'm just, I'm just not going to let myself feel that because it doesn't get me anywhere. It doesn't get anybody anywhere. And um, so I'm just going to go ahead and stop feeling that. And the problem is though, is that it's like a really important feeling. <laughs> like, yeah. It's a part of the natural balance of like feelings and where they go. But like the way that I kind of buried it was I buried it with anxious thoughts and then depressive thoughts on top of that, you know? Mm -hmm. So like when I have a thought about like something awful happening to one of my daughters or both of my daughters, what I sometimes will do now is I'll be like, okay, that's an interesting thought. What was I thinking right before that? And it, hmm. and it's almost always something that I was, that I'm just really mad about, you know, like, um, like for me, um, one of my big issues is that I just, you know, like if you were to ask me when I was a kid, even like a 10 or 11 or 12 year old, like, what do I want to be when, like, what do I want in my life when I grow up? I, if I was being honest, I would have said like an awesome, like life partner, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> what, like lifelong love. You know, that's what I would have said. And like the fact that I haven't gotten that yet, you know, that that's not like a part of my life story just yet is something that just like really, really bothers me. Like it just, it really, really bothers me. And so often it'll be something like, you know, I'm sitting here and I'm thinking to myself, like, is there really anyone out there for me? Right. And then I'll have mm -hmm. like a really anxious thought, but then immediately I'll go from that kind of fear or anger based sort of emotion to like immediately thinking about something awful happening to one of my, one or both of my daughters, like immediately I just wow. automatically go there. And then I'll, on top of that, start jumping in with, holy shit, like what's wrong with you? Why are you imagining this? You're defunct, which are, which is depression thoughts. And then what I've essentially done is I've buried that thing that like, I just really didn't want to feel, you know, <laughs> I've like buried it with something awful, which is like a, a straight up mental illness. I'm wondering if what I'm saying is resonating with you right now. <laughs> it is. And I have come to realize it's because I've always been so independent. Yeah. What I wanted for myself was to be independent, even within a marriage. Yeah. And my own money and have my own job. And I really wanted to have my cake and need it too, so to say. Because, I mean, why else would you have cake? Um, I, you know, I wanted to have kids and be financially stable on my own and still married. Yeah. And right now I just don't have that. So yeah. I, some of that resentment comes from not having my own, um, <laughs> my own, I mean, I have my own career is I just haven't figured it out yet. I haven't figured out 
how to manage it while being a mom at the same time. Yeah. To the extent I, you know, want to pursue it. I think about like how different my life story might've been if I made a different decision here or there, you yeah. know? And then I get like super heady about it because it's like, well, then I wouldn't have this or that. And I love having this and that, do you know what I mean? But at the same time, mm-hmm. like it definitely did not go the way that I wrote it when I was young. Like yeah. it, just, it just didn't. And God lost, right? Yeah. Yeah. But I like, I, I don't, it's like, I look at some people and it's like, did this, is it that this went exactly as you planned it? Or did you just not plan it? You know, <laughs> like, I don't like, I don't really understand what it's like to be other people in this scenario. Like, why doesn't everyone go through this? Does that make sense? Yeah. Like, did everybody else just have their life happen according to how they planned it? Yeah. Or, or did they not plan it? Like, what do you think is going on here? <laughs> because I really don't know. Well, I think the thing is, like, we, especially with social media, we're only seeing highlights of people's lives. We're right. We're seeing more of, like, the, you know, the nitty-gritty little pieces of the puzzle that gets put together, which is called someone else's life. We're just seeing, right. like, the big things that happen. So maybe it does seem like they've planned it out. And, you know, finally you say that because I think of my brother who is – you know, he's very meticulous. Um, uh-huh. He's very analytical and has always had everything planned according to a T. Uh-huh. And he was supposed to get married this year, which is something that he planned out. And he looks like someone who, like, he's not really on social media that much. But when I think of, like, you know, someone who really has it together, I think of my brother because he's yeah. got he's always made good money and he owns a home and he's been in a relationship for a really long time. Yeah. He's always driven nice cars, you know, I'm like, Oh, my brother always has it together because he planned everything. Like, yeah. Part of it. I look at it and I'm like, we call him like an old fuddy duddy because (laughs) he's 29 years old and he's kind of like an old man, like all the I dotted, all the T's across, but he like, gives himself terrible anxiety over it, you know, like, right. Let's find details together. But then at the same time, I forget that he does have things in his life that throws him off. Yeah. Off his, you know, his path, so to say. So like yeah. this year, he get married and he's had to reschedule his wedding for a third time now. Oh God. Yeah. yeah. So, um, this is just like something to think about. It's like we look at other people and we think they have it all together, and then we forget that they they probably look at us and think the same thing. And but, actually, yeah. with that in mind, I saw something earlier on I think it was Facebook, and it was a picture of a woman with a baby and a husband, and it said something along the lines of like an established woman. And then there was another picture of like a young woman eating a piece of pizza. You know, she's single wearing a pair of jeans. <laughs> and it said also an established woman. There was, there was a sentence there, but, <laughs> but you know, they, I think it was just a, like an interesting, yeah, it's an interesting perspective. It's an interesting thing to look at that 
I think we have these expectations for ourselves and they don't always go so accordingly and then we start looking at other people and thinking they have it all together when they're probably thinking the same thing about us. Yeah, no doubt. Um, In fact, that's, I mean, what you're spelling out here is one of the reasons why I ultimately had to stop being a rabbi because when you're a religious leader, what happens is, is that you become like a projector screen for all of your congregants or your parishioners who are projecting onto you kind of all their hopes and dreams for humanity, for themselves, for the world, you know, that they're projecting onto you like that, that type of human experience that just is impossible, you know, in terms of like, you know, you're a rabbi, so you finish all the books that you start and you are really good at keeping plants alive. And, and like, of course you're in a great marriage and all these things, and you're the perfect parent and all these things. And just none of it was true. And I had to walk away from the rabbinate because of the pressure of that, you know, of like yeah. needing to kind of play that role. But what I find really interesting, you know, obviously it's an awful experience, the whole experience of the pandemic. And we're all going through, it's like a worldwide trauma. It's, it's absolutely unbelievable in terms of what we're all going through. But um, what I was going to say is, is that like that has, I found has in a fascinating way, really peeled back a lot of the veneer of some of those things. Like if you haven't been in a solid marriage that has like real lasting potential, there's no way that you lasted the pandemic. Do you know what I mean? (laughs) Like it's just, it just hasn't happened. And the amount of folks who have, you know, seen mental health issues sort of skyrocket during this time. Um, I haven't checked the numbers, but I'm willing to bet a significant amount of money that suicide numbers are way up this year as opposed to before, you know, I, especially. With, yeah, right? I don't know the stats on that, but I've definitely seen some things lately about suicide rates being really high. I've seen more posts this year than ever of you know, the RIP posts and yeah, yeah. there've been it, some of them that have alluded to suicide. Uh-huh. So it, yeah, makes you wonder. Self-isolation, lack of human contact. A lot of people lost mm-hmm. their jobs. Alcoholism is way up. Um, you know, whatever relationships you're in, if now you're suddenly stuck with someone and so that often falls apart, or if you're not in a relationship, like, you know, like me, like, you know, dealing with just being alone a lot of the times, <laughs> like yeah. the whole experience. I mean, I've been doing actually online dating since the pandemic. I'm like, I started my experience with online dating um, as the pandemic was getting started. So like <laughs> I've used the apps, but I've only ever used them during a pandemic. It's mm-hmm. fascinating. It's fascinating. First of all, everybody and their mother is on them because there are no bars right now. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> There's like, oh yeah, gosh. There's no meetup groups. If you want to meet somebody, it's going to have to be on a dating app. And um, second of all, everyone's kind of losing their minds, you know? Yeah. So it's it's just fascinating in terms of, you know, what folks are going through and how we're all kind of dealing with it and stuff. So, yeah, I, I can't, you know, I, I I have a hard time imagining how I've managed to survive the pandemic so far. I can't even imagine having a newborn baby during the pandemic. Yeah, in a way, it's hard. And in a way, it's actually worked out because (laughs) with a new baby, there's not much going out anyway. Right. Uh, There's no FOMO. (laughs) Yeah. 
uh, and thank goodness for grocery pickups and deliveries. Yeah. So, yeah, it is hard in one way because we I don't have that um, support system like I had with Leo and being able to meet up with other moms and have all our kids play together. Right. Um, so I'd say that that's the only, I mean, I guess we could, but it wouldn't be the same. You know, we wouldn't no. be able to go and just like hang out at the park with, you know, 30 people, um, including children. Right. Uh, yeah. It's just, it's not like that anymore. So. God, that stuff is so, that stuff is so weird to think about. Did you have to hoard, uh, diapers and wipies and stuff in the beginning? Uh, in the beginning so leo has been potty training he's pretty much potty trained now we have accidents here and there so we weren't going through as many diapers yeah for him and wipes i think those just like one of those things i just always had plenty of (laughs) and then well yeah because i mean i would always have enough and then you know, my mom would always have stuff at her house. Oh, my parents, I shouldn't just say my mom. My parents would have stuff at their house. Yeah. And then when Scarlett was born, a friend of mine asked, she was like, oh, you know, would you be interested in cloth diapering? And gave me a bunch of stuff for cloth diapering. So it's worked out really well <laughs> in that regard. <Yeah. laughs> um, I don't mind doing, I mean, there's always laundry, right? So yeah. <laughs> What's an it's extra a, load every couple of days? <laughs> it's fine. It's fine. Cloth diapering is a little extra grosser, you know, because at least with the disposables, you're just kind of taking them and then forgetting about them, you know, tossing them to the side. Yeah. But uh, it's certainly more environmental conscious. And at yeah. some point, you do kind of sort of get used to 99.9% of the poops. Occasionally, there's one or two that are just sort of like doozies in terms of yeah. just being able to have to like handle it or whatever. But for the most part, you can handle a poop, you know, it's like, you just kind of get used to it, you know? <laughs> yeah. I kind of just came to the conclusion, like, you know what? They're both gross in their own way. So yep. <laughs> not really getting around the gross part. No, it's all there. It's all there. Yep. You know, you want to get a dog, dogs are adorable, but you're going to have to pick up shit a lot of times, you know, <laughs> that's like, you know, there are a lot of people who don't do that. Who, who don't pick up? Yeah, some of those and people I, live in my neighborhood, by the way. <laughs> apparently, in mine. And the other day, we were we went out for our morning walk, and Leo was running around on the grass, and he fell into dog poop, and I was so mad. And of course, it was like oh. the one time I had forgotten the hand sanitizer. Oh, thankfully, I had diaper wipes and other things in the stroller with us, but. Yeah, yeah. Oh, God. And he's a boy, so probably first thing was fingers, mouth. You know, that's what he was thinking. No, he knew it was poop. So he just kind of like looked at me like, ah, poop. I'm upset. (laughs) Yeah. I'm very upset. Oh, my gosh. That's really funny. That's really, really funny. Yeah, uh, both of we're like uh, well over an hour into this pod, so I can say this. And my daughters don't listen to it anyway, but both of them... (laughs) Definitely had a couple of poops where it's like, how did all of that come out of tiny oh little you? God. You know, <laughs> it's like, yeah. I wish I would have weighed you beforehand and weighed you now to see what's going on because <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I suspect 
Definitely had a few of those. Like, where the hell did that, where did that come from? <laughs> I don't remember her feeding you that much. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah. Yeah, it is definitely, it's definitely a thing. It's definitely a thing. Um, one of the things I really love about your story, and this is sort of my, like, it's my favorite sort of reason to have these conversations is that so far, I mean, most of the folks that I've had on, the plan is to kind of have you back at some point, you know, to like wait a yeah. few months and then re-engage and kind of see how things are going. And I really love a story like this that's kind of like in the middle of the story. Does that make yeah. sense? Like, Because I relate to that. I mean, it's where I am too. Like Project Head, it's like, where does the therapy stop? Like at one point, am I like, you know, wiping my hands like, okay, finished with that. Time to move on to my next challenge. No more <laughs> mental health issues I have to deal with. And what I've come to terms with is that the answer to that question is just never. Like it's pretty much forever. I mean, there might be times when I'm seeing my therapist a lot less than I see her now. But yeah. like I see her once a week now, to be honest you know, wasn't that long ago, it was a few years ago that I would be seeing here two, three times a week, including group therapy. So mm. single, you know, individual therapy twice a week, group therapy once a week, there was like a, an extended period of time where that's what I was doing. That's how kind of dark it had gotten for me. Yeah. Um, but that was really a process of kind of needing to do that to sort of save my life. I mean, that's, that's really kind of where that's at now. I'm just, but I've also done, had times where it was once every two weeks, you know, and, uh, but now it's a once a week thing and just sort of trying to, you know, get through stuff. And it's really that process of reconnecting to my anger neural pathway of like allowing myself to go there and experience that too. Yeah. So that's kind of where it's at for me. Um, I'm wondering if you, I mean, you're so disciplined looking ahead. I wonder if you have like any specific areas that you're just like excited to dive into first when you start with your individual therapist, like what's the sort of first thing you want to jump into? Um, probably my marriage because yeah. we got married when I was halfway through my pregnancy. And so we've been married for like five months before we had our first babies. We haven't really, and we were living with my parents. So we haven't really yeah. experienced being like a married couple yeah. So I think, you know, it's like one of those things is weird because we it, come February, we'd have been together 10 years. So it's like, oh, is it really that big of a deal? Like we spent, what was it, seven or eight years together before we got married. So yeah, it's a good chunk of time. Yeah. Um, at the same time, it's like with things out. Oh, I have a cat <laughs> scratching my leg. <laughs> um, cat attack, maybe, cat attack. <laughs> yeah, he's he's cuddling, but he's he's just got really sharp claws. Um, <laughs> yeah, I just wonder, you know, would things have been different in our marriage in our marriage if we didn't have a baby right away? You know, sure. and obviously we didn't plan for that to happen. Um, so yeah, I I that's probably one thing I want to dive into is. Um, healing the marriage a little bit. Yeah, like we're not we're not in a good place, but we're not in a bad place either. We know that, that there's work to do in that in that regard. I definitely, um, yeah. I mean, look, I'm a divorced guy, so I definitely get that. But I've also done couples therapy in other relationships besides my marriage, 
Um, have you have you guys looked into couples therapy? Is that like a part of it? Uh, stop me if this is getting too noisy, and we can obviously take out any of this stuff. But yeah, um, yeah. the the lady that I have contacted, she's a um, what are, what are they called? A licensed marriage family therapist. Yeah, LMFT. So, that's fine too. Yep. So um, I haven't asked if she does couples. That's probably a good place to start, actually, um, is to see if she does do couples therapy. Yeah. Um, I'm pretty sure she does, but that would that's definitely one thing I was looking for, someone who can help me with um, um, with the marriage, but also as a parent. That would be the second thing yeah. that I want to do is navigating all these toddler tantrums. <laughs> yeah. yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you know, ex- uh, experiencing their own emotions and learning how to be emotionally intelligent on your own while creating a little human who hopefully has more emotional intelligence than I do, at least. Yeah. <laughs> it's such a thing. It's such a thing. I mean, yeah. you know, it's almost cliche to say that being a parent is the hardest job in the world because everyone says it. But yeah. it's so true, you know, it's so true. And it's so just laden with landmines everywhere in terms of just the emotions mm-hmm. of it. I mean, my, uh, my girls are 10 and almost 14 now. Yeah. 13 and, you know, seven eighths, basically <laughs> 11 twelfths, you know, she's like right there ready to turn mm-hmm. 14. And, uh, yeah, you know, it's like, um, there's a lot of really wonderful things about it, a lot of really challenging things about it, but in a weird way, like one of the more challenging things about it is when, like for me, like when I see them dealing with some of the same struggles that I've dealt with, does that make sense? Where it's like, yeah, oh God, like, uh, I don't want you to inherit that, you know, but those are the things that tend to kind of like press my buttons the most, you know, where <laughs> it's like, no, don't, don't go there. Don't go there or whatever. But, uh, when they're little, it's like just such a, an act of like, dealing with just the whole patience of it because they need you all the time and they can't communicate why they're upset, you know? And so you just don't know why they're upset. You're trying to guess and figure it out, but we're like genetically predisposed to hate the sound of their crying. You know what I mean? So it's like, (laughs) you know, it just has to stop. It has to stop, you know? So it's like, it's, it can be like really, really torturous. And especially I feel like for us, INFJs where like our deal is absorbing other people's emotions. So I'm like, I found myself absorbing my kids' emotions. And it's like, you know, all, like you said, like all I wanted to do is scream into a pillow sometimes because that's what they were feeling. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's just so intense and challenging or whatever. So, you know, yeah, I'm, uh, I'm so there with you. So much of your story resonates with me, you know, so much of it resonates with me. So, I mean, how are you doing right now? I mean, you know, we're really in the middle of your story. Like you've definitely got plans in terms of what to, what to do next, but how are you kind of just dealing with stuff right now? Um, I think to an extent I'm still internalizing a lot of things. Again, there's a lot of stuff going on uh, personally. Yeah. Then, you know, you throw in the pandemic on top of that. 
going into the holidays and you know my husband's trying to grow a business which <laughs> keeps hitting stopping points yep. and you know, we're having a baby well we've had our baby we've got two babies and so you know i'm taking awareness of you know the situation that we're in and it's tricky and there are a lot of people going through it as well so it makes me feel a little less lonely um and just you know it's being creative as well like learning to think outside the box um for the sake of not getting stuck in the um the downward spiral so we're looking at entertaining just different things for now you know we it's like well we don't have much to lose so what can we do with what we have right so um i'm definitely doing well i'm doing a lot better uh with this postpartum than i did with leo oh and you know i didn't entirely finish because you asked me um how i handled um the second pregnancy and all that um so even though i didn't get professional help i made a point of um and it was kind of like a last minute thing that i threw together because i thought i don't need to baby shower because i have everything um because both of my pregnancies we kept the the sex of them um a surprise yeah so i had lots of you know gender neutral items yeah. So instead of getting baby stuff, uh, we did, or I did, um, more of like a mummy shower, oh, and cool. I, I just took the time to reach out to other women and kind of call in my village, so to say, yeah, to make sure that we, I had, you know, things for healing. Um, one of my friends set up a meal train as well. So um, we were very well taken care of. And I think that made a huge difference, not having to worry about meals and, um, you know, little things that kind of caught me off guard the first time. You asked for help. You like you actually had the inner fortitude and you had the experience now to know that there's nothing wrong with asking for help. And so you asked for help. Yeah, and it was so hard to do because I feel like, oh, I don't want to burden people. I don't want to ask them to spend money on me. I don't want to ask them to do something for me. Um, But then, you know, the next thing, like, people start showing up to my house with meals or texting me saying, hey, I'm – one of my friends texted me, like, hey, I'm uh, ordering – what are they called? Those, like – those, like, dinners that are ready to cook. I'm trying to think of a company, like, uh, what is it, Blue Apron or – yeah. Chef or something like that. Yeah. yeah. I'm ordering some of those. Like, would you like one? And I can drop it off. And I've got oh, wow. you know, a couple of friends who are like, hey, you know, my baby's growing up. They're closed. Do you need stuff? And there's little things like that who have, that have made a huge difference. So, oh, wow. Definitely handling this postpartum a lot better, even with all of the, oh, the stuff. All the other the, stuff. All the 2020 stuff. Yeah, all the 2020 stuff. Your accent is Australian. Am I right about that? Like you've got like an Australian aspect to your accent, but you've been in America for English. 
it's English, but I've been in America. We just celebrated 19 years, so it's very wishy-washy, and it does, I guess, to a lot of people, sound Australian. So I get that a lot. Yeah, a little bit. Like you, the way you said the word "no," like Australians have a way of making the word "no" have 11 syllables for some reason. I don't quite know how. <laughs> They do that. And I can't even like begin to imitate it, but just the way they say the word no, it's like, how did you add so many syllables to that word? I don't know. <laughs> uh, I exaggerating it when I said it. <laughs> so that's why I kind of thought that I heard. I'm, I guess I'm asking that because I'm wondering if there's like a certain old world sensibility to you, even though you're still, you know, young, if there's an old world sensibility to you of, and that's quite English, isn't it? Like soldier on, you know, <laughs> like you calm and carry on. Right? We're known for having their stiff upper lip. Yeah, and, and meanwhile, the Germans are bombing the fuck out of London, you know. <laughs> and you're just yeah. like, no, I have to go to the store and get my radishes so I can make. <laughs> <laughs> is that? Do you think that there's something to that? Like, is that where that's coming from? I think partially, yeah. Yeah. Um, and aren't you, don't you also have like a Japanese background as well? Don't, don't you, are you also like, isn't there like an Asian story to you as well in your, in your cultural background? No, not Japanese. Um, um, my dad was born in Pakistan. Okay. So there's a little bit of Indian influence in my, in my life and my grandfather is Greek Cypriot. Um, so for those who don't know, Cyprus is, it's a, well, it's Greek and Turkish, um, uh-huh. manned by the UN. Uh, and it's in the, it's like a hop, skip and a jump away from the Middle East. It's just below Turkey and mm-hmm. west of Lebanon. Cyprus is um, huge in the news right now because of the unbelievable amount of Syrian and Middle Eastern refugees that are there. Yes. And it's it, because they sort of went, they left on a boat and they went there and there's no country that will take them. And Cyprus no. is sort of what they were, they've been sort of waiting in the holding pattern. There's Cyprus has a long history of, of being that for refugees and they have nowhere to go right now. And it's yeah. a, like a significant, significant issue in Cyprus. Um, so you are like a perfect kind of conglomerate of a whole mess of different societies and cultures and sort of ethnic backgrounds that have all of them a long history of just like not being open to asking for help. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Long history of sucking it up and dealing, dealing. with it. But the yes. One about the the Cypriots, um, I visited there last year for the first time in twenty something years. Okay. Um, it's all it's small. It's a tiny little island, and everyone knows each other, and they have that village mentality as well. So yeah, it's just so different out here. Right, right. So you. Out west. You kind of were able to pull from your Cypriot ancestry to say, well, maybe let me just build a village for myself. And it like really worked. It worked, you know, quite well for you that, that, uh, you were able to manage your second pregnancy in a much better way than your first. 
and yeah. you've had a support network there for you. I mean, that's huge. That's so huge. Um, yeah. Yeah. And funnily enough, I, um, I did my, the mummy shower based off of an Indian tradition. Like, oh, um, cool. I don't remember the exact ethnicity, but I was looking up like different rituals. Yeah. Um, based off of my heritage and I couldn't find anything for Celtic or Greek. So I looked at the Indians and they do something like that. They shower the mother with gifts as opposed to the baby. So I was like, yeah. Oh, this is a good idea. I don't know why um, people give babies anything that you literally have to parent your children three and a half to four, sometimes five years before you even begin to get into first memory territory. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I, I thought about that too. And I'm like, well, all this stuff ultimately is for us. <laughs> and then you just kind of realize like how much of this stuff you don't need. Yep. You know, so like they're very convenient. But, yeah. <laughs> yeah. My, uh, my go-to gift for baby showers, if it's a couple that I especially love and I'm close with and want to get them something that's like not on the cheaper side of things is a uh, wipey warmer. And then I explained to them that it's not oh. I say it's not for the baby. You put it in the bathroom. You use it on yourself. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? I haven't done that, <laughs> and I have one. <laughs> oh, honey, I have just changed your life. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna have to go find that now. You're gonna have to go find that and and plant that because the babies don't care. Like you can have the, you know, they can be as. It probably feels good to have the cold uh, wipes on the baby's bottoms, but for us, I mean, oh, it's I don't like know. It's I got it. Different. Yeah, no, I got it because Leo being a winter baby and it'd be so cold in our room at night and when I was doing diaper changes and, you know, I'd yeah. touch his little bottom with a wipe and he would kind of flinch a little bit, so. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, anyway, maybe get another one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, they don't need it now. Too, they don't need it now. But, uh, yeah, I recommend it. Plant that sucker right in your bathroom. And then yep. uh, you'll, you'll, you're going to thank me later for sure. And you might not, you know. <laughs> Maybe you won't need a therapist after that. Maybe that'll solve <laughs> sort of all the problems, you know. <laughs> oh, goodness gracious. Well, I mean, look, at, we've been talking for a minute now. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, I actually don't have any more questions. I mean, I'm really enjoying talking to you. I mean, it yeah. feels to me like we've kind of come to like a, a nice point in the narrative. I'm wondering in your mindset what we've left out. Is there anything else that you feel like is important to share any other topic you want to sort of dive into um i think i think we touched pretty much everything i think uh i guess if there's like one thing for people to keep in mind insofar as becoming parents is that this is very common i know yeah postpartum depression anxiety in women i can't really speak for men uh but for women it's one in five like that's that's significant that's a lot. That's so a lot. yeah um and i think the reason we don't really know with men is because men are not as likely to express themselves <laughs> and yeah. i i think it's also a little bit taboo for men to experience like the postpartum anxiety and depression yeah. um they didn't carry and give birth to a baby so that's right. And there isn't that kind of natural 
you know, I kind of mentioned this earlier that the hormone shift of going from being a not pregnant person to being a pregnant person to being a not pregnant person again is pretty significant. And yeah. I can't even begin to relate to that. And I, there might be some sympathy hormones that happen, you know, for men, like I could see that happening, but it's still not going to be the same, you know? Yeah. And, and you're right. I, my therapist shared something with me um, a couple of weeks ago that sort of shocked me. I didn't know. But uh, being a man who does therapy, I'm one of just 5% of men in San Diego that do therapy. <laughs> wow. I mean, it's just, it's like so rare uh, to find yeah. men who are willing to kind of put in that work, you know? So, um, yeah, no, I, I, I suspect you're, you're right. You know, 20% of women having postpartum depression is a pretty amazing statistic. And I, I don't have any idea where it would be for men, but it's going to, it's going to be significantly less, I'm sure. But 20% yeah. is a really amazing statistic. So, um, yeah, I, I think there just needs to be, there needs to be some work in two different ways. One, obviously a normalizing therapy, like it should yeah. just be as normal as going for a checkup at the dentist or the doctor. Yep. Just to check in and see how things are going. Yeah. Um, and 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 throughout different stages in life because you did say earlier that therapy like are you ever going to stop going to therapy because things are just going to keep happening you know and i yeah. i came to that conclusion years ago like you know with personal development like i'm always going to be doing this yeah. because you know at the time i was i a single woman i i, I was unmarried i was with my husband but yeah I was working on my career and I could do whatever I wanted at the drop of a hat. And yeah. then, you know, I knew, well, I'm going to get married at some point and I'm probably going to go through some challenges there. And then I'm going to become a mom and I'm going to go through challenges there. And then my kids are going to go through challenges that I'm going to mm -hmm. want to work with as well. So I think there's that it's the normalizing, the, th the normalizing therapy um, but then also I think for our culture is recreating the village. Yeah. So it's not that it's not there. We're just, we're just looking at it differently, you know, because everyone's working and everyone's on the go. Everyone's so busy. It's like, okay, so do we need to slow down or, right. you know, what kind of adjustments do we need to make as new parents that we can, or not even as new parents, but when there are new parents, how can we adjust to help them feel held and cared for while they're bringing this you know, new baby into their world and the world in general? A hundred percent. You know, it's such a, it's such an interesting thing in terms of, where our culture has gone. Like there's this great book that I haven't read. So I'm going to, but I'm going to act like I've read it in this conversation, this conversation, because it's been like in my life and around my, around my world for a really long time. It's a book called Bowling Alone. And mm -hmm. the basic point that it makes is that, you know, we've seen a really significant shift in our society today. And it can be really manifested by looking at what's happening with bowling. That bowling as a sport and as an activity is sort of just as successful as it's been before. Like just as many people bowl as they did before, but there's been a huge drop off in bowling leagues. You know, like there's almost no bowling leagues anymore. 
but people still bowl, but they bowl by themselves or with their like very small, like close knit kind of crew, you know, their immediate family or immediate friends or something like that. So the whole kind of like social nature of what kind of it used to be like to be in America and probably the West in general um, has become, has sort of really almost deified privacy. Do you know what I mean? Where it's like our ability to just go from our car to our homes and shut the door and, and be perfectly fine is so much of how our world is kind of built out right now. Um, yeah. and that's horrible. You know, it's, it's really, really rough and how, and it's so exacerbated by the pandemic, you know, just like now you really can't like get out and meet people, but this is sort of what we were doing anyway. Um, yeah. but, but at the same time, you know, there's also a really interesting opportunity because in a weird way, it's like, we're not letting people into our homes, but we are through social media. And we've like yeah. really fuzzied the line between privacy, like what happens in private and what happens in public. Mm-hmm. And we've kind of publicized private in a weird way through social yeah. media, you know? So it's almost like we're primed to reopen our homes to friends and building villages again. We just need to put our phones down in order to do that, you know? <laughs> it's yeah. like, but we're like primed to do it. You know, I'm really curious what's going to happen post pandemic. If there's going to be like an explosion of social groups because of how starved people were from each other. And if like, there's going to be so much sort of zoom fatigue that we're all going to put our phones and our iPads down, just find someone, anyone to hug, you know, (laughs) I mean, like, like, me too, me too. Like, with the chances of there not being another baby boom to like, you know, re um, repopulate like a new boomer generation off the pandemic is like, I mean, it's like going to happen. There's no way it doesn't happen. But yeah. um, but it's so it's so interesting. So yeah, I'm really really with you on all that. And that's you know, look, I you know, I don't really have like a huge amount of listeners for this podcast, but that's the mission of the podcast is to take these conversations and destigmatize them um because like really really everyone goes through it you know especially depression like fucking hippocrates discovered depression like he's the first doctor that ever was (laughs) like a couple thousand years ago he discovered depression but it's still taboo you know and that's crazy to me that's just crazy to me so yeah i'm with you 100 percent on all that um so what else anything else that you want to talk about today um, I think the last thing I'll say is that um, I mentioned earlier that I think a lot there's been a lot of like having to let go of expectations. Yeah. Uh, in becoming a mom, because I thought I would, you know, be able to manage being a mom and pursuing my career as well, and I'm just having to come to terms with um just in the season of being a mom right now, that's, that's my main focus. Like I just got to focus on being the best mom I can and healing myself the best way I can. Yeah. Um, But in that time I've taken, uh, I've realized that because I was doing my own show before pretty much up until I gave birth Uh and I was kind of fumbling with it. Like I knew this is what I wanted to do and I wasn't entirely sure where I was going, but I think in becoming a mom and I knew this when I was pregnant as well, that there's a lot of unpacking that needs to be done and a lot of work that needs to be done on um, 
in the motherhood and I think in the parenting sphere in general. Yeah. So that's, I think in these last two years, um, I've just been really soaking that in and I'm finally getting ready to start working on that again and bringing that aspect into my show. Um, yeah. Because yeah. by healing myself, I'm healing my children and then their children and their children and their children. So, yeah. Yeah, we want to do, you know, a little bit better than our parents did at least. And then um, in doing so, empower our kids to do better than us, right? I mean, that's the that's the goal. Um, at least I think that should be the goal of parenting. You know, to raise to raise our kids to have more tools than than we did, and for us to live our lives with maybe some more tools than our parents had, and yeah. to kind of pass it down like that. Um, it's so existential, though, isn't it? Like, <laughs> don't you wish you could be just perfect, just absolutely perfect? <laughs> yeah, I have to tell myself that everything that's happening is it is already it's already perfect. You know, yeah. I uh, I guess if this is God's plan, then why do I keep interfering with it and saying it's not perfect? Yeah. Sort of perfectly imperfect. You know, that's the yeah. story. Like it's, it's about the struggle and the journey. If we were perfect and then, then there would be no more learning to do. And yeah. you know, what's, what's better than learning. Right. I mean, that's kind of, that's kind of where it's at. That's kind yeah. Of we've got to have those flaws and those, those failures. Yeah. Yeah. Otherwise, what's the point, right? I mean, this is sort of what we're what what it's all about. So, um, well, this is awesome. I mean, you are uh, definitely an impressive human being, and I'm so honored and just excited that we had this conversation. And I'm really, yeah, and I'm really, really interested to see kind of like where things go for you and what new wisdoms you have to offer in a few months, you know, when we continue the conversation. Like, I'm really excited to see kind of where that's at. Um, And I'm right there with you, man. I mean, I'm like, I definitely feel like heading into the pandemic, it was weird, like having gone through depression, like it was almost as if I had more tools than most people in dealing with the pandemic at first. You know what I mean? Where it was like, man, the amount of my friends who like shaved their heads and got a dog, right? It's like, (laughs) you know, (laughs) like, oh, oh, so like you can't leave the house and you feel like, you know, there's like nothing going on that you can go to. Like, welcome to like my world for the past number of years. You know what I mean? (laughs) Like, come on. But like, you know, now it's just dragging on and on. And I have to be honest, I mean, there's no question I'm sort of white knuckling life right now. My last two episodes of the pod have been called panic attack and panic attack part two, just to give you an idea of where I'm at these days, you know? So it's like, it's just bananas in terms of um, what's going on and what I'm trying to sort of deal with and face and stuff like that. So I'm right there with you, man. And um, I'm just really psyched that you came on the show and yeah. So let this be a friendship that lasts for a really long time because yeah, you know, I'm so glad I could contribute. Yeah. Plus we got to start that INFJ club. Yeah. Like, don't you think? I know a couple of the INFJs funnily enough. Yeah. Let's get us all together. I just, I just met and connected. I, don't with know how gonna work. <laughs> I think we'll just all be in a room staring at each other basically. Yeah. <laughs> So who's going to talk first? <laughs> Who is going to talk first? We can we can decide. We'll, 
I'll just commit to being the one that talked first, unless somebody yeah. else is, you know, I'll just say, I'll, I'll do the first talking and then everyone else can sort of jump in. I'm a former rabbi, so I'm kind of used to it. I'm kind of used to that. <laughs> kind of used to that. Yeah. But um, anyway, so, all right, I'm going to press stop on the recording, but it won't disconnect us. We'll just uh, sort, of, sort of be able to talk. So, okay. Um, thank you so much. You are awesome. And uh, we'll talk to you next time. Sounds good. I look forward to it. Yeah.